0: Scripture reading this morning, we are continuing our series in the Beatitudes. Uh, that is uh, according to Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 5. And I will simply be reading verse 4. If you do not have a copy of the Scriptures, uh, there is a, a black ESV pew Bible somewhere near you, in front of you, under the chairs. That's on page 809. Uh, I'll be reading uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Uh, So last week we saw the first beatitude of us being called to have the character of what Jesus calls poverty of spirit, as we recognize we bring nothing but poverty of our sin to God, and He makes us spiritually rich in Christ. And I noted that the first three of the Beatitudes could be categorized as Beatitudes of need. Uh, the center would be uh, the fourth one. But here we're in the second Beatitude, uh, that of mourning, which I've already mentioned has not only touched uh, some lives in our congregation recently in the last week, uh, it's always It's always there. We're very much reminded of that this week if we watched the news. The, the outline is the same as last week. The content will change. First, we're looking at, at the character that, that Jesus is calling us as his disciples to have, that is to be mournful. Uh, secondly, we're going to look at the promise that we have as his disciples, which is that we, we are and are going to be comforted. But then uh, fourthly, our uh, thirdly, our call and how we're going to cultivate this beatitude in our lives moving forward. Firstly, our character of being mournful. I want to ask a first question what exactly is that? It can be kind of uh, confusing. What is the kind of mournful character Jesus is talking about? Martin Lloyd Jones calls it spiritual mourning. In specific, Jesus is talking about being mournful over our own sin. And we will say this as a confession of faith. Uh, Often had done this recently from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, number 87. What is repentance unto life? And in the middle of that answer, it says, with grief and hatred of our sin. This, this idea of, of repentance being a, a lifestyle of the Christian. Not simply how we start the Christian life, repenting of our sins, but that's the lifestyle in a sense. And how is that categorized? By the Shorter Catechism, but with grief. You could say mournful. A hatred of our sin. That is what true repentance is. Uh, David even said in Psalm 51, Seventeen, where he uh, lamented over his own sin, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. There's a a grief that King David was expressing over his sin that shows us there's a genuineness to it. He recognizes the gravity of what he's done, not simply to other families in his sin, uh, but To the Lord Himself. Uh, Thomas Watson, a Puritan, said Christ is not loved till sin be loathed. That's not popular. Christ is not loved unless sin be loathed. That's a process of mortifying the flesh in sanctification. But we don't often like to think about that. We forget Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Of course, uh, Jesus has in some mind the results of the sin that we're mourning, which is every other thing that we mourn in this life. Uh, Brokenness with creation, brokenness with God, uh, brokenness and isolation from from each other, uh, from ourselves, loss of loved ones, death, suffering, tears, crying, all of it. Romans 6.23 is saying it's all rooted in because of sin. That's, that's the answer. Paul attaches mourning over the specifics of life with the cause of all pain, which is sin, and breaking God's laws. So we can't possibly address any problem in our own life, uh, in our own culture, without an understanding of, how did this happen? Why is everything so messed up? What are all of the things that we're trying to fix in our own life and in our own society? It's all because of sin. We won't get to the answers until we recognize that as the cause. But another, another question then with regards to our character, we we recognize that this mournfulness has to be rooted uh, firstly in our own sin. Well, then, what stops me from doing this? What well, what prevents me from being mournful and cultivating this in my own life as a, a born-again believer who, who's being addressed in the Sermon on the Mount chiefly, his disciples? Well, uh, again, back to Thomas Watson. He lists several hindrances to mourning. Uh, I'm not going to name a few. It didn't take me long to get to the list before I was convicted. Uh, One would be our love of sin. Why on earth would I mourn something that I like? Even though it poisons me and and messes up my life. But it promises not to. Why I love my sin too much. I like what what it gives to me. But it does for me more than the Lord Jesus. Uh, Watson recorded uh, St. Jerome as saying, It's worse to love sin than to commit it. Which th- that sounds strange. Why did he say that? Well, he that has stumbled upon sin unawares will weep, but the love of sin hardens the heart and keeps the devil in possession there's a a slow trickle of the the hardening of our hearts as we continue to to love sin, as we continue to call things in our lives something other than sin. And that happens over the passage of time. And then all of a sudden we get used to it. And we're, we're committing it, but why are we committing it? We love it. And repentance unto life is a continual breaking and a continual grieving over those things. Watson also mentions that we might fall into despair, and this can be that we think we're never going to overcome a sin, or that God's grace uh, can't or or won't cover us for it. I will never in this life be able to overcome this, so I'm going to stop fighting. Therefore, no longer mourn. Or I've been doing this for so long, or this is so devastating that God's grace isn't big enough for it. So I give up. Uh, Finally, Watson mentions that we have a conceit of the smallness of sin. It's not a big deal. Whatever it is in your life, the temptation is going to be to say, not a big deal. Sin doesn't, isn't really a problem. The, the results of the sin are the problem. The suffering around me, the death, the killing. We've got to focus on all those things. Sin is not really addressing the problem because sin isn't a thing or it isn't really that big of a deal, especially when I commit it. It is when you commit it, not when I commit it. That's a joke. But all of these things stop us and lie to us from from actually growing this character. The character of actually saying, I'm going to call sin, sin in my life, I'm going to confess it. Firstly, to the Lord. Secondly, to whoever else I've affected by it. And I'm going to continue a life of repentance, which is a grieving a mourning over sin? This is something... Uh, if you had to ask yourself this question this morning, how would you answer it? When did I last mourn my own sin? Which would require us to actually start to do the hard heart work of thinking through, I'm pretty sinful. Let me list, let me list some things in a journal or in prayer and then you start to realize Watson's wisdom of like, well, the despair and the difficulty of maybe even wanting to call ourselves a believer. But but that's how we're growing in character, by by growing in our desire to mourn over our sin, which is the reason. Sin is the reason why there is death, why there is destruction while there is devastation everywhere in all countries in all governments in all families th- this is the remedy this is the source of the problems is sin not something else everything else is a result so we have to start with ourselves and constantly manifest this character of grief and mournfulness for our sin. But again, like the rest of the Beatitudes, there's this kind of hard shift, this paradox that, that hits us right here. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Comforted. This is the promise to all disciples of Christ that there is going to be a comfort in the midst of our mourning. Which is why we can mourn. There's two things I listed last week about the coming of the kingdom of heaven uh, regarding the poor in spirit. Uh, we receive these promises and the Beatitudes now, but also not yet. It's the same with this comfort. Now, uh, firstly, with the now of the promise of our comfort, this is in the future tense when he says, uh, for they shall be comforted, that, that's a future promise. However, uh, I, I don't think Jesus is saying that there's no comfort now for those who mourn over their sin. Why would that be? Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, the word that is used for comfort is an interesting Greek verb called parakaleo. Why would I say that weird word to you? Well, you might remember in John chapter 14 that Jesus promises that when He leaves, He's going to give the Helper, who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So He's, he's saying, I'm going to go, but I'm going to send you the Helper, who is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, He's going to teach you everything from my Word and help you to remember as you grow as a Christian, which is going to partly be Him working in our life to hopefully mourn over our sin. But remember our Redeemer too. But the word for the helper in John chapter 14 is paraclete. It's the same root as to be comforted. So Jesus is saying, I'm I'm going to send you the helper who's the encourager or the comforter. Well, he's already done that. Now! That's who indwells the heart of a believer, the comforter. Reminding us of the Scriptures. But but it goes further also in 1st John uh, chapter 2 verse 1 it reads like this my little children i'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous the word for advocate 1st John 2 paraclete encourager comforter. Jesus is being proclaimed here by the Apostle John as being the comforter as well. So, ironically, in John 14, when he's speaking to his disciples, he's saying, essentially, I gotta go. But I am your comforter who is sending you a comforter. Of course, he's already He's already done this. Of course, we have this advocate who is a comfort for our sins, Jesus Christ, the righteous, because we are saved from the penalty of our sins right now because He's already saved us. He's already died on the cross for our sins as our advocate. That's how we have the comfort for our sin right now. We could look at all of the problems of creation, of interpersonal relationships, of our own hearts, and say, I would forever mourn my sin, eternally. But Jesus Christ, the righteous, has become my comforter. He has paid for all of my sin, now, eternally. And he's already now sent his own spirit as a paraclete, a comforter. That as I mourn for my sins now, I don't do so in isolation. I don't do so endlessly with no hope. I do so knowing that I have comfort right now. We remind ourselves almost weekly that we are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come because of the comfort of Jesus Christ the righteous. We're reminded of those things every week in our liturgy. I worked with one ruling elder uh, a couple of churches ago who at that time had already served in our denomination over 30 years as a ruling elder. And he, me as a young uh, new pastor, uh, fresh out of seminary, I was shocked that when he, he told me he had read Calvin's Institutes a half dozen times. I was like, I may never do that. And he would always want to teach Sunday school and was very much kind of a a heady, knowledgeable uh, elder in our church. But before a session meeting once, he was asked, just in conversation, well, Jim, uh, his name, what's your favorite part of the worship service, favorite part of the liturgy? And a couple of us were like, well, it'd be the sermon, of course. And he said, no, it's the confession of sin and the assurance of pardon reminding myself I'm a forgiven sinner. And that has always stayed with me. But also part of this comfort is not yet. We don't obviously mourn our sins right now with complete and total comfort because we still lack complete and total comfort in this life Uh, We're reminded again in the Shorter Catechism that sanctification is a work of God's free grace. It's not an act. It's a process. And Paul explains his own own fight in Romans chapter 7 of spiritual warfare with his own sin. He says in Romans 7 verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. I can say amen to that. He's not saying he's giving up in the battle or that he just loves his sin. He wants to sin over and over. He's actually saying the opposite. He's saying, I'm so frustrated in my Christian life that I'm still sinning and I'm fighting it. It's a battle and it always will be until we're eternally comforted forever. Verse 20 of Romans 7. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He's recognizing that's not my identity. I'm no longer a quote-unquote a sinner because I'm united to Christ, but I fight the sin. Still, verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There he recognizes. His comfort, though it's not perfect yet, still resides in Jesus because he's been delivered from ultimate Warfare, we remember from Jesus' own life, He weeps at the death of Lazarus, then He raises Him. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the resurrection enables us to grieve with, with hope. That is not only at the funeral, that's every time we think of our sin. We can grieve with hope knowing it's been defeated, but it will ultimately be defeated perfectly in our own life. But still, it's not yet recognized last Sunday afternoon in Greenwood with Merrill's mom's funeral. I was thinking of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort. They comfort me now. But, but even in the midst of the grief and the sorrow and the loss, there's, there's the hope that, that David had a picture of from Psalm 23, that there'd be another shepherd who would not only walk with us through the valley, but we could trust because he's already walked the worst valley for us. We have the promise of Isaiah 25 verse 8. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of His people He will take away from the earth. The, the, the promise from the prophet as these families go into exile is this will eventually end. Death will be defeated. Tears will be wiped away. But He also mentions the reproach. We swallow it up. The sin. That's the cause of all the death. And the destruction will be removed. But then after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the apostle John, again, in Revelation records this in chapter 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The mourning over sin is temporary. Therefore, we should be encouraged to fight sin. But be encouraged even in the midst of any grief. It's temporary. Jesus has already fulfilled Isaiah 25. We read that in the Gospels, but it's promised again in Revelation to be completed. That's a promise from Jesus. But finally, what then is our call? That, that we are obviously to continue to mourn our own sins, uh, that we are to embrace the comfort that we have now, but there's two brief things. One would be actually to mourn the sin of others. That's a way of cultivating a mournful the uh, spirit of our sin is not, not only to continue to mourn our sins, but to be outward facing because we have this comfort. We can actually embrace mourning on behalf of other people. Where am I getting this from? Well, Psalm 119, 136. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Mourn the sins of others especially when they're so lost, they don't even understand that they're lost. They don't understand the massive amount of destruction that's ongoing in their life that they're causing because of continued disobedience to God's law because they don't know God. Mark chapter 3, verse 5, And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Being the Pharisees, Jesus was angered and grieved at the sin, the hardness of others. He was so moved. Luke nineteen forty one, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Jerusalem. Do you and I not only weep over our own sin, but weep over the sins of our neighbors in our neighborhood, our, our city of Hernando, our, our county? our state, our country. Mourn the sins of others. Jesus weeps over the sin of Jerusalem. He's so affected. We must bring other people into this blessing of mourning, maybe by showing them that we mourn our sins, but that we mourn their sin. By even talking to them about it. What it does to them. How it hurts the Lord. Sin destroys. It's why there is Social injustice, racism, abortion, all the problems of our society. Sin. It's why there is breakdowns in governments, in countries, in families, in individuals. We become outward facing with this knowledge and and interactive in evangelism. How could we not? When we know the solution, the root cause of all problems. But secondly and finally, our call is not simply to mourn the sins of others, but to become what I'll call a mournful comforter. This means we present the gospel of grace, which brings peace. Colossians 2.20 says he's making peace by the blood of his cross. This means we talk to people about their sin, about our Savior who has saved us from our sin. We mourn, grieve, and weep if they reject it. We move toward the sinfulness of others because we know what the cure actually is. We move toward those suffering under the consequences of their sins who live in brokenness. We move toward those who are Christians who mourn the consequences of their sin or who are themselves touched by death and their families. When I was in college, after my freshman year, there was a a senior who had just graduated but he was staying on to take some other classes to pass the CPA exam. But he played soccer with me. And there was a vice president uh, who was a well-known soccer alum at Covenant College, years older than myself, had children. Went on vacation in the Northeast with his family that summer. I don't remember how old his son was, six, seven, eight, nine years old. He just fell down on the beach and collapsed and and did not get up. And the whole community was just shaken and grieved. And this older soccer alum grabbed me uh, a day before the funeral and said, we're going to go to the funeral. And I thought, I don't, I don't know him personally. I mean, I've played soccer against him a couple of times. I obviously don't know his kids very well. I can't possibly fathom as a 20-year-old what this man is, is dealing with. And this older brother grabbed a few of us younger ones and said, we need to learn about this. this time, we need to enter into this grief and mourn. And we did. We gathered with hundreds at this funeral, which was a a powerful time of sadness, but a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, who saves sinners and enables us, therefore, to become mournful comforters of the sinful and the sorrowful in ways that we couldn't imagine. We, we enter in with people in a way that the world is looking at the death and the devastation of the last five days in our country with zero curative responses. Outside the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is none. We have to go. As I've already quoted from Second Corinthians 1, God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you know how many times in that one verse that word parakaleo was used? Of us? We not only mourn our own sin, And receive the comfort of the now and the not yet of the resurrection of Christ. We become comforters. Not in and of ourselves. But we know our advocate. We know our helper. Those two persons of the Trinity are our comforters sent by the Father. Because of our sin. That we would go and comfort those who mourn and who need to mourn their sin and who need to have the hope only found in the resurrection, which we just sang about in Isaiah 43. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not consume you. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, and you're mine. Let us pray. Lord Christ, we ask that, in this time of devastation, maybe not in our own personal life today, but in many lives around us, there is the devastation of death. But there is the devastation of sin in all of us and everywhere we look. And Jesus, you are our advocate. You are, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You have sent us the helper who is the comforter. Lord Christ, would we continually drink of the gospel of comfort, conviction of our sin, repentance unto life, that you would send us to places that need this comfort desperately. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.